Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're very glad that you are here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us this morning, and I invite you to fill out a visitor card. You'll find that in the back of the pew in front of you. And if you have any questions after the service, please do ask the knowledgeable and friendly people at the visitor table, and they'll do their best to answer any questions you might have about this particular church or about Unitarian Universalism as a whole. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And it is in the spirit of that heritage that I ask you to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left, welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together the words by which we light our chalice. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. On the difference between the ideals of architecture and mere construction, the renowned 20th century architect Le Corbusier wrote, You employ stone, wood, and concrete, and with these materials you build houses and palaces. That is construction. Ingenuity is at work, but suddenly you touch my heart. You do me good. I am happy, and I say, this is beautiful. That is architecture. Some people have not heard of Unitarian Universalism, and so when they hear about it from you, they'll say, now, what is that? And you will start to talk about, well, maybe you'll say, it's the one God, no hell, church. Or maybe you'll just say there are so many people there and some people do Buddhist meditation and some people are uh, still Jewish in their identity, but they call themselves Unitarian Universalists. And some people are Christian, some people are pagan, some people are uh, humanist, atheists. We've got all different kinds of people. And they say, well, what holds you together? They might ask that. I don't know. And you can say, well, one of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission And it's written on the wall, and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. This reading is by Patrick T. O'Neill from the Shoemaker's Window, a sermon. Any congregation from the largest cathedral to the smallest and plainest chapel is always the gift of those common people who love it and who work for it and who support it as they are able. It is the love of its congregation that ultimately sanctifies a church or a temple or a meeting house and makes of it a sanctuary, a holy place, a community which transcends time. Let us breathe together in this holy space. Let us breathe deep into that part of our heart where we are who we are. It is in the silence and the stillness that we seek clarity, that we grow stronger, that we put down roots, that we speak to God as we understand God, that we listen to our inner wisdom, 
or that we just rest. Let us enter into the silence together. Let us continue our meditation with a meta meditation, the loving kindness prayer. We say this three times. I'll say a line and you say it after me, should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves. May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well-being. The second time we say it for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. The third time, as a spiritual exercise, we say it for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well-being. May it be so. The reason I'm talking about architecture and spirit this morning is because we're having our first town hall meeting this afternoon at 1.15. Um, to talk about questions that the facilities research group can work with, um, can do research on, to find out about what we can build and what ideas there are floating out there and uh, how, what are the costs and benefits of all kinds of options. We just want the congregation to come up with things for them to research. Because this congregation is kind of like this plant, root-bound. There's no more place for this plant to put roots, and pretty soon they'll start just wrapping around and around and around. Now, churches don't do that. What churches do when they start getting root-bound is um, usually they'll have a big fight. And... um, Half the plant will split from the other half of the plant, and they'll make two different plants. Um, this plant can't do it on its own. I would have to do it. But we're just going to put it in a bigger pot, and it's going to be fine. And so we just have to decide. We just have to decide as a congregation um, what we're going to do about being kind of root-bound. So I want to get your thinking started. I want to talk to you about architecture and spirit. And I want you to start by imagining a courtroom. You're going to court, okay? You go into the courtroom, and it's got a little tiny door, like a house-sized door. And the room is a low-ceilinged room, and 
Um, there's some shag carpet on the floor, and everything's painted in kind of decorator colors from maybe the 90s. And um, there are plastic chairs, and they're in a circle, two circles maybe. Um, the jury is in one circle of chairs, and the, all the other people are in the other circle of chairs. And the judge is just sitting in a chair in street clothes. Okay, is this going to work as a courtroom? No, not really. Because you go into a courtroom and it's architecturally designed to make you feel like authority is present. You go into a courtroom, the walls and ceilings often are high. The judge is up um, above everybody else. One side is over here in the fight and the other side is over here in the fight and and there's a bailiff that makes you stand up when the judge comes in. Um, <sighs> Some churches are like that too. You can tell what's supposed to happen. The visual cues are there that tell you what's going on here. And so when you walk into a cathedral in Europe, it's it's dark and there's stained glass and the Light is filtering through these jewel-toned colors, and um, the the wood is intricately carved, and the stonework is gorgeous, and um, your whole eye and your spirit are drawn up to look at the at the dome or at the steeple or at the rose window, and you know that for these people, what's important is up there, and then there's the um, communion table and they're sometimes beautifully carved screens and so the you know the magic that happens in the worship service for those folks in the cathedral is happening up there and everybody um sits and kind of participates but you wouldn't really have a cathedral that had chairs in a circle so you're told by all kinds of visual cues how these people encounter God and what these people think of as as awe-inspiring. Um, most UU churches that are built to be Unitarian Universalist churches have a lot of visual cues about what those people thought was important. Now, um, some... UU churches have stadium seating where the pulpit is really down at the lowest level and the people sit like this. That tells you uh, either what they're reacting against or they don't want the pulpit to be too high, um, but they still want it to be visible and the people are higher than the pulpit. That's fine. Um, Some people try to have the pulpit all on the same level, but then it's really hard to see the preacher some people, like the, the UU Church in Charleston, South Carolina, was built in the 1700s before the Revolutionary War. And then it became um, a Unitarian Universalist Church, or Unitarian Church, sorry, in the early 1800s. So for 200 years, this is our oldest church, for, or one of our oldest churches. For 200 years, that's been a Unitarian Church. And you go in, and this church has docents. One of our members here used to be a docent there. And... Um, it's like a museum. It's gorgeous stained glass windows. It's very much like a cathedral. And the pulpit, you have to get to the pulpit by going up these stairs 
and then you're standing really close to the ceiling in that pulpit, and you better not... I tried to bring a guitar up there one time. It was uh, awkward. So um, that shows you how the people of the 1700s thought of the person who was speaking the word from God should be kind of up closer to God than the people, at least by a certain number of feet. Um, Most UU churches, you can tell that the people said, we want this church to be light-filled, filled with light. And so there are lots of windows in most churches. Some of the churches, they do it better than others. I was preaching in one church where they just... It was like a big room, but there were floor-to-ceiling windows that were like a house window. They opened with sashes, and there was a porch like a house. So they wanted their church to be very homey. Um, But the youth group was out on the porch running back and forth on the wood while you're trying to have a worship service. And so it was just more interesting to watch the youth, actually. Um, I did remember to preach, but fortunately, the minister is the only one who's watching the youth. Everybody else is watching the minister get distracted by the youth. Anyway, there was a lot of light in the room anyway. Um, and some churches, UU churches, have lift in the ceiling because people wanted uh, their, the spirit to be lifted. And other UU churches have a very kind of a low ceiling as a kind of a way of saying our community is more important and we don't really need to lift because everything that's important is right here. And this church cradles us and cocoons us, um, but we don't have to, we're, we, re, we don't want to lift. So, so you think, you know, what, what would we want to say? What are we saying with our architecture? There was a big article in the Salt Lake City Tribune about the first Unitarian Church in Salt Lake City, and they said, it is a white-painted, light-filled, empty space impossible to hide in. Every corner is apparent, clearly illuminated by natural light from the tall, multi-paned Palladian windows, recalling the light of reason revered by Unitarianism's great liberal forebears. The lines, the lights, the absence of ornamentation serve as an invitation to introspection and meditation. There's no cross, no icon, no altar. Unitarians focus on this world, not the next. So that church was uh, pretty uh, intentional about the minimalism of its doctrine, the simplicity of its doctrine. And um, I think it's true that architecture is meant to make us remember who we are and you go into a space you make a space that's that cradles who you want to be or that lifts you up or that is multi-layered or um in some unitarian churches you make a space that is uh very difficult to find i've preached in many many Unitarian churches across the country, and Kaya has sung in many Unitarian churches across the country and many more, and we always joke with each other because it's always, um, you always have to drive past it a couple of times before you can figure out how to get in. And um, 
the sign is usually so small that you only can see it at walking speed. And often they're at the dead end of a road, um, not visible from the street, or they're down in the woods. And, um, and sometimes it's really hard to tell what the front door is. And sometimes they're like this building. Um, it does reflect our faith in a way in that there are many, many ways in. And some of them are kind of randomly locked. But if you try hard enough, you can find your way in. Um, my church in South Carolina was on a main street, but it was up above the street, and there was no way to get to it from that street. So, so you could see it, you just couldn't get to it. The church in Charlotte, North Carolina, is beautiful, and the people are wonderful, um, but it doesn't have a front door. It just doesn't. You, you pass it on the street. There's no door that you can see, and when you go into the parking lot, there are two doors right next to each other that both look like um, storage room doors, and one of them is a storage room door, and the other one, identical, is the door into the church. And so we Unitarian Universalists are um, either consciously or unconsciously always speaking non-verbally about our faith. It is not important to come in here, or it's important, but it's just as important as where you store your things. Um, <laughs> daily life and the storage of mops and brooms and lawnmowers is, is worship too, and so, and so it is. So we're ramping up this conversation that this congregation has been having for what I hear is the last 20 years of um, we're running out of space, we need more space. And it's kind of gotten to be, um, yeah, yeah. We, we're talking about building again, and we're talking about moving again. Um, I think we might really do it this time, unless we have a big fight, which is our other alternative. The religious education space has been make-do for... A while here, we're okay, um, but it's time to put our imagining and our planning energy together with what you guys have imagined and planned in the past, and we're going to take a look at all of that and see what we can do. And there is a team of people whose job it is to research all the different possibilities in terms of their cost financially and their cost in terms of time and their cost in terms of um, effort and their costs to the minister's energy. Um, we have had a really informative experience with the city of Austin, um, putting our portable classroom out here. Someone, uh, the girls' school of Austin donated us um, a portable and that was last June, and we've trying to get permission to go into it since June, and um, we've been talking about permitting. Finally, we had to hire, somebody said, oh, you need to hire a fixer. I thought, wow, I just left New Jersey. 
know about fixers. Because they told us, well, you need a, a ramp and it needs to be just right and then you need an engineer. And the engineer said, yes, you need a ramp, but you need concrete posts to anchor the ramp uh, so that if there's a tornado, the portable can blow away, but not the ramp. And, um, and the posts are going to be $10,000. So what are the costs going to be in terms of gnashing of teeth and um, hiring of expediters? I guess fixer is, is a, a word with some connotations. I should say expediter. Is that better? Thank you. An expediter. Thank you. Yeah, because the fixer doesn't actually, you know, my mother grew up in India, and um, she thought you had to bribe everybody. Because that's how she was raised. I'm sure India's not like that anymore, but it was in the uh, 40s and 50s where she was there. And so she kept trying to bribe the postman, and she would say, Maggie, if you don't give him money, he won't bring your mail. <laughs> and she used to try to, she used to give money to the police officers um, because that's what you should do, is what she thought. And she would call down there and say, I need to speak to a police officer. How late are you all open? <laughs> They would say, lady, this is the police. Anyway, don't get me started on talking about my mother in India. So what kind of efforts are our different ideas going to take? And how can we do things? And we, the facilities research group, do not feel that we have all the ideas that are possible. And so we need ideas from the congregation So you could say, well, have you thought of this? How much would this cost? What would that cost? Um, And we've got some time to think about it because even though our second service is full here, um, House and Hall, our coffee house second service, still isn't full. And so we've got some space in there. We really don't have to worry about it yet. Um, And then, worst comes to worst, we can fill up the courtyard. Um, We're going to be all right. So um, it is even too early to talk about architecture, even though it's really fun to talk about whether we want a design that um, lifts or uh, cuddles or cradles or excites or calms and soothes. We we have lots of time to talk about all of that. But um, what we're what we're doing right now is, and I and I'm wondering if you have experience with this. What we're doing right now is buying more and books. You know, we're like a person buying more books than they have space for in their house. Because I thought yesterday at the new member class, each one of these people is like a novel in themselves. You could just talk to one of these people, and every one of us is like a book. And I thought, well, we love to collect books, and right now we're collecting people, but we're running out of shelf space for our books. Has that ever happened to you? In your life, and yet, do you stop buying books? No, no. But but if we had a library that could hold all of our books, it would be lovely. And if it were beautiful, that'd be even better. But right now, we just need not to have books lying all over the floor. We need right just now. We need just some space where to put all of us. We also need space to live out our long-range plan. 
we have a long-range plan, and it goes like this. I talked about it in my column, which I know you read cover to cover, and um, I talked about it at the congregational meeting where I know about 15 of you were. And so I'm going to tell you again, our long-range plan is that we want to um, continue being the church we are. Uh, what I notice coming from the outside is that the church we are is an arts church. We have a gallery. We have paradox players. We have a lot of people who have a lot of energy for the arts. We're a social justice church. We're a church that starts other congregations, Live Oak Congregation and Wildflower Congregation came out of this congregation. So you're kind of a seed church, kind of a mother church. Um, I think that it would be good to continue that. So to be an arts, social justice, mother church is our long-range plan. And we talked to the large church consultant, Stefan Jonasson, from the UUA, the denominational headquarters. And we asked him, how many people... um, you need to start a thriving new church? And he said, you need at least 200 people, and you need to start it with a minister, with 200 people, with a staff person, and with some money. We thought, okay, we can grow to about 600 people with the facilities we have right now, if we squish. And you can't really spare 200 people from 600. So what we decided was, and people have been asking me, are we going to just grow as big as we can? Are we going to be a mega church? And I, no, we're not going to be a big box church or a mega church. We're not going to try to grow as big as we can possibly grow. That's not the kind of um, church this seems to be. And it's not the kind of church I would like to be the minister of. And so what we thought was we would grow to maybe between 800 and 1,000 people. We can get a 500-seat sanctuary. We can do that. And then from 800 people, you can take 200. You can spare 200 people to start a new church. And so we could grow Unitarian Universalism in Austin. Um, Is Austin, has it grown in the past 10 years? Yeah, is that going to stop now? Right. So Austin's going to keep doubling, and we are responsible for there being room and, wel- and a welcome for all the people who want to be Unitarian Universalists um, among the people who are already here in Austin and amongst the people who are coming. So I don't think it'll be a problem for us to grow to between 800 and 1,000 people and then start some new churches wherever new churches are needed, maybe one every five or ten years. We don't know what the growth rate will be. But that's the plan, and the plan is to have enough space so that we can have an after-school kind of hangout place for maybe LGBTQ kids or maybe uh, kids of uh, immigrants. We want to have some tutoring. We want to have some um, fun space, maybe for people to play games and actually uh, be in their bodies as well as just in their heads. We want to we maybe invite artists from across the country to come have some free studio space in our building for a year and in exchange for a year of free studio space to interact with the congregation as artists, as filmmakers or painters or dancers, um, and with the community also, and that that would be First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's outreach. It's like, oh, they're the church with the artists that do cool things in Austin in the name of Unitarian Universalism. We have lots and lots of ideas. Um, 
I also welcome input on this long-range plan since there weren't that many people at the congregational meeting when I asked for input before. Know that you are welcome to talk to me about it and the long-range planning team will um, help me uh, renovate the long-range plan as we get more and more ideas. Or as people say, please take that idea away, I hate it. We want to have space to be the congregation we want to be. We need to be a flagship church because our denomination has dissolved its districts and now it is just uh, in regions. And what they're counting on is that the big churches, which you are one, um, the big churches will be a hub so that other Unitarian Universalists from smaller churches can come for meetings, gatherings, trainings, um, all at the hub churches. And so we would like to be available to be one of the hub churches, and that would make us proud, I think, to be one of the flagship churches. That is one of the things that they told me you guys wanted when they were looking for a minister. I read that you wanted to do that, so that's in the long-range plan, too. We need to have space for that to happen. How can we get there? And what will it look like? And what does our building now, non-verbally, say to us, to our children, to our visitors, and what would we like it to say? All of these things are going to be in the conversation at 115 in room 13, which is down the hall. Some of you have never been down the hall of the classrooms. This would be a good time to go. We, um, we covet your comments, and I am very much looking forward not only to being the church that we want to be, but to getting there. Uh, I was there in the, my South Carolina church when we built a new sanctuary. And um, so I know how to do it. I, I might be a little more, have a little more trepidation at the beginning of this process than I would have if I didn't know what was going to happen. What I told the South Carolina congregation was that uh, congregations always have terrible conflicts when they build, and um, so I'm expecting that here, too. Um, the Episcopal Church in Spartanburg, where I was, had um, almost a split in their church about how much of the floor should be slate and how much should be carpet. And um, and so anyway, in the South Carolina congregation, we didn't actually have any conflict because uh, we were all so oppositional that uh, when the minister was expecting conflict, we were damned if we were going to give it to her. So, um, but y'all might be double, triple, reverse oppositional. I don't know. However you are, I'll take you. And uh, I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. A lone wild bird in lofty flight is Still with thee, nor leaves thy sight, 
And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.